Amen. We uh, are into a summer series I'm calling Summer in the Psalms. And a few weeks ago, uh, rather sort of uh, uh, unexpectedly, I was drawn to the Psalms and I started reading through the Psalms again. There's uh, 150 of them, so it could be a very long summer series. You could go to next summer, as a matter of fact. But uh, we, we'll just uh, hop all over Psalms and I'm just picking out some Psalms as they jump out to me uh, as the Holy Spirit is leading me through the Psalms and sharing that with you. Psalm 15 is uh, where we're going to dig into today. Uh, my sermon title is called, How Then Should We Live? How Then Should We Live? Put up for me Psalm, uh, Psalm 15. It says this, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth with sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. That's it. That is the entire psalm. Five, psalm 15 has five verses. The first verse is a question. It says, who, who, can, who can enter into your presence, Lord? Who, who can climb your holy hill? And then the next four verses David attempts to answer the question. It's a psalm about holiness, really. It's a psalm about right living. It's, it's talking about a way that we should live in order to please God. And David uh, moves ahead in the, in the next four verses to give qualities and characteristics that are needed in a person who wants to live close to God. These are the ones, he says at the end, who will stand forever. Or some, the NIV, I think, says, then they will not be shaken. These are the people that will stand. Um, so it's not, this psalm is not actually a description for how to be saved, but it's a description of how saved people should be living. Uh, that's really what it is. So Jesus, we know, has made a difference in our lives. He's changed us. And now we are people who are new creations who have been transformed that were different than we were before. And now we're people who want to please him. We're people who want to live for him. We're, we're people who want to be close to him, who, who want to walk in his blessing and to experience his favor and, and to hear his voice and to live in the fullness of his presence. This is a desire for every believer uh, at some level. We, we don't want to do life without him. That's the truth. Somebody said amen. We, we want him in our lives now and we want him to be close to us and we want to stay close to him. And so David knows all this, and he begins to list some things that are important for us to think about, some qualities that need to be incorporated, that need to be grown into us. They're important for us to have in our lives. Why? Because he says, these are the people who will be entering into his presence. 
These are the kind of people who will be walking up his holy hill. These are the people who will be spending time and enjoying his favor and his blessing and his leading and his power and his anointing. So these things that we want, he says, start to incorporate some of these things so that you can get to, get, move ahead and get to the goal of spending and being closer to him. We, uh, we know, of course, that sin and pride uh, block us, right, from getting closer to God. They, 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 they stop us from moving closer to God. That pride, well, pride is, uh, I'm stuttering because I have so many things to say. Just calm down, one word at a time. I just love this psalm, and so it's just going to pour out of me today. But psalm, you know, like pride and sin, the Bible is so clear. Pride is a God blocker, right? He doesn't like it. He hates it. He's like, okay, fine. You think you can do it on your own? Fine. Go ahead, right? We talked yesterday about his face being upon us, right, for pleasure, and his face turning away from us is a sign of his displeasure. You want to walk in pride, then you'll never walk in his blessing. His face won't look on it. He doesn't like it, he hates it, it's wrong. He wants people who understand that they're nothing but sinners saved by grace. That sin is a God blocker, pride is a God blocker, and we have to live for him in humility and obedience. Do what he says. People who say that they love the Lord but don't do what he says, he says, you're only fooling yourself. You've got to do what I say. You've got to, you've got to get to that point where it's not just this rote mechanical thing. You're doing it you know, to earn brownie points. No, we've got to get to the point where we're doing it because we want to do it, right? We do it because we know that it's good. We enjoy doing it. It leads to blessing and favor and a better life and a higher quality of, our, uh, uh, of a person that we become when we live close to him. So living for him in humility and obedience, it opens the door for the Lord to come in and stay close. So David is talking about these kind of things. And, and you'll notice, actually, if you read this psalm carefully, careful, carefully when you go home later today, or throughout the week, David says, what David says here, it kind of mirrors the qualities that the Holy Spirit produces in us that Paul talked about in Galatians 5, and you put it up for me, verse 22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And when you start going through what David says, there's so many things that sort of mirror the qualities of what a Spirit-filled believer, what's already the fruit of the Spirit that's already growing in us. So it also connects, one other thing that I notice about Psalm 15 is that it really connects to what Jesus taught himself in Matthew chapter 5, uh, moving forward in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest sermons probably ever preached, and it, it lasts about three chapters in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But he said so many things. But he said basically this, um, you know, the blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the this. And, but then he goes on to say, listen, you're to be salt and light. Salt 
to give flavor and preservation, light in a dark room. That's who you are. Jesus goes on to say, you should be people who keep your word. You don't need to swear on this or swear on this. You just say it and we believe it. You're a person of your word. He said you should love your enemies, grow love and forgiveness into your life. You should be people who control your anger and not let anger control you. How many of us know that when you're angry, you do and say dumb things? So he says, don't let that control you, but you control that, right? He said, you should be people who are generous and kind and merciful. You should look for people who are in need and bless them. Don't be greedy, but be unselfish in how you live, especially with your money, he says. The, 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 the Sermon on the Mount is powerful and incredibly practical. But David is saying similar things hundreds of years before Jesus said it. So here's my point. These qualities are timeless, They're timeless and they apply to any generation. Those who want to live in the presence of God, those who want to to climb the holy hill, these are some things that we need to be incorporating into our lives. So let's get into it. I just started. That's my intro? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Who Who may enter your presence? The first thing he says is those who lead blameless lives and do right. Those who lead blameless lives and do right. That's verse one. Uh, So as soon as you read that, okay, you shut down, okay? It's true because you think that's impossible, right? Who can lead a blameless life? It seems like an impossible task. But understand that when the Bible says blameless, He's not talking about being sinless. Blameless refers to character, integrity, loyalty. It, 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 uh, it refers and connects to faithfulness, um, full absolute devotion and commitment to the Lord. So uh, there's so many people in the Bible, like Noah was called blameless. Look at this, Genesis 6, 9 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Just leave that up just for a second. See, check this out. Check the connection. He's he's righteous, right? He's blameless, and because he's blameless and full integrity and character and fully devoted and fully faithful to the Lord, what happens? He walks in close fellowship with, with God. This is a a response. So was Noah sinless? Read the story. The answer is no. But God called him blameless. Isn't that interesting? Right? Abraham was actually instructed and commanded to be blameless. Uh, Genesis 17, 1. God says this, when Abram was 99 years old. 99! The Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. The man is 99. And it's like he's just starting, right? He's Abram, not even Abraham yet. And now his life in God is just about to begin. And he says, okay, listen, you're 99. Now's the time. Live right. Be blameless and let's move forward. He's 99. I love that, right? He's not packing it in at 99. He's actually just starting. 
So it's, it's, there's something neat about that. Job was also called blameless because of his full devotion and full commitment to the Lord. Even when trouble things uh, hit his life, even when tragedy struck, his friends were telling him to walk away and to turn his back on God. Job was fully locked in. He said, no, I will not. He is still my hope and my strength, right? So Job was called blameless, not because he was sinless, but because his integrity, his character, his loyalty, his devotion, his faithfulness was locked in to the Lord. So understanding that, and by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we won't read it, but it uh, it says that God made him who had no sin uh, to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. So we can, we, we can get there. Our righteousness, our, our blameless life, our integrity, our loyalty, our commitment, our faithfulness to him, right? It's, it's in Christ. It's made possible only because of Christ. The great preacher uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he he says, a good Englishman, was he not, Steve, I believe? Yeah, or, okay, well, they're close enough. I was close, yeah. Um, but he, he, uh, he said these words. He said, holiness is not something to be received at a church meeting. He said, it's a life to be lived out in the details of godly devotion. And, and he's bang on. I can't give this to you. you. You have to say, Holy Spirit, give this to me. And when we walk out of our church meetings, we have to live it out in the detail of being devoted fully to the Lord. Ephesians 4.24 says this, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is who we are in Christ, truly righteous and holy. So David says, how then should we live? Who can enter your presence, Lord? Who can, who, can, who can climb the holy hill? Well, David says, verse one, or uh, end of verse one, going into verse two, he says, start this way. Start with a blameless life. Start with a full commitment, a full devotion. Work on your faithfulness and your loyalty to the Lord. Look at your character, your integrity. Look at your devotion. You're going to make mistakes just like everybody else in the Bible who was called blameless did. None of them were perfect, but yet they were still called blameless and commended by God to be blameless. So God is is calling us to live this life of integrity, to live this life of commitment and devotion that we we can do this, by the way, right? We can do this. Someone said amen. At home, say amen in the chat. Be active and alive have more coffee, stay with me, right? You can do this and we can grow in this, amen? Like we, we start our walk with the Lord and hopefully as the weeks and months and years go on, we're finding our strength being, being built up, our commitment being stronger, that we've weathered some storms and seen his hand on our lives. And we say, he is good, he will never lose, he's going to overcome, and I am on the winning side. And you, you begin to build this, this strength in him, right? That we're going to make mistakes. Yes, of course we're going to make mistakes, but we can grow into a blameless life understanding what that word means. So righteousness, right standing with God, or right living, it's all sort of all connected with that word. 
It, you find it everywhere in the Bible, all the way through the entire Bible. Jesus says in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount about righteousness, he says, hunger and thirst for it. Remember that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. You'll be blessed for going after it, he says. Later, Matthew 6, he says, you should seek righteousness first, right? Above all else, he said, right? Above all else, seek righteousness and the kingdom of God and everything will fall into place. Everything else will be fine if you can get that right. Start with a blameless life. Start with right standing, right living, right connection with the Lord. And when you do, everything seems to fall into place. You make better decisions. He gives you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide you. You will avoid the tricks and the traps of the enemy and he will bless your life. His face will smile on you and his favor will rest on you. Not because you're sinless, but because you're fully committed to the ways of the Lord, living it for him and in him and trying to serve him to the best of your ability. See, it's so important, by the way, because righteousness is a part of his kingdom. It's, it's, it's who God is, and we need to grow deeper into it. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of what we eat or drink, but it's living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Some of you would know that the kingdom is not what you eat or drink, but it is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in his presence, these three things are dominant. And so we've got to grow these things into our lives as well. So that one's big. That could be a whole sermon in itself, but I got to keep moving. So he says next, who may enter your presence? Next, uh, verse, verses two and three, he says, who may enter your presence? Those who speak truthfully, and who refuse to gossip. Okay, ouch, big one, okay? So much damage is done to us and by us from what comes out of our mouths, right? Don't say amen, just go yeah. It's just, just true, right? So much damage is done by us and to us from what is coming out of our mouths. And David says, listen, deception, lies, gossip, this, this kind of unwholesome talk, it has no place in the lives of people who want to enter into his presence and climb his holy hill. God doesn't talk like that. He doesn't want to tolerate talk like that, right? So speaking dishonestly, by the way, it really is a revealer of your character. Did you know that? But it really is. It really, really is. What is inside of us? will eventually come out of our mouths. Uh, Matthew 12, 34. Jesus was uh, yelling at the Pharisees for being hypocrites, and he, called, he says this, you brood of snakes. Very, uh, very uh, direct. If, if, uh, if Jesus had something on his mind, he did speak it. He says, you brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So this is why, this is why Jesus is not looking for us to go through the motions, to perform religious duties, to say the prayer, do the bow, and then walk out and everything's fine. No, he's saying, listen, I've got to fix what's wrong with you on the inside. This is the way to live a changed inner life 
a character-building transformation on the inside will show to everybody on the outside. Fix in here, and the out, the out will, will just naturally flow in a better way. So he wants us to love the truth. He wants us to speak the truth in love. He wants us to do it because that's who we really are on the inside. We're not being forced to tell the truth, you know, not to keep God, you know, uh, you know, not angry with us. We're doing it because he's changed us on the inside and what's coming out of our mouths is nothing but a reflection of the change of heart that the Holy Spirit has done in us. Somebody said amen. This is who we are and this is who we want to be. So a changed life shows on the inside. Of course there's times, boy, that we're all tempted to hide the truth, we're all tempted to avoid the truth, and have you noticed this? Especially about yourself. It's, we always cheer for us. I think I'm wonderful and I always vote for me. And so, every time I do something wrong, I wanna be defensive about it. I wanna minimize it. I wanna justify it. And he's saying, listen, you want to be a person who speaks the truth. It's not just speaking the truth about others. It's speaking the truth about yourself and being honest with who you are. What are you struggling with? What do you need God to help you with? You've got to make progress with this, right? We can really struggle with being true about ourselves. But he says, listen, children of God, people who want to you know, um, enter into his presence and walk the holy hill, You've got to embrace the truth. You've got to face it with others and, uh, and with yourself. We can't make progress in life if we're not facing the truth. This is, it, the lies will keep us trapped. It will keep us facing the wrong direction. We've, we've got to speak the truth. I read this story this week about four boys, uh, high school boys, and one day they decided to skip school because they wanted to go fishing. And... The next day, they told the teacher that the car they were driving to school in got a flat and they didn't have a spare and that's why they couldn't make it to school. So the teacher said, okay, uh, but listen, you missed a small quiz yesterday, so I want you to take a seat in the four corners of the room, far apart from each other. I want you to take out a piece of paper and, I, and here's your question. Which tire on the car was flat? Don't know how they managed to uh, answer that, but we're all tempted sometimes. We're all tempted sometimes. Look at Ephesians 4.25. It says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And James says it very clearly in James 3, verse 7. It says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. You can tame fish? Uh, anyway, no one... Hey, come up and let's pet the fish. That would be interesting. Hey, but nobody can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. James is so practical, it's painful but he's bang on. We gotta be people who speak the truth. Now, about the gossip thing, just this. Sometimes I've heard people say, 
you know, they're gossiping and they say, well, it's not a lie. It's not a lie. I'm telling the truth. I'm speaking the truth. It's not a lie. What I said is true. And somehow that's okay, you know. But words that hurt people, James says, look, we, we praise or then out of the same mouth or cursing comes, uh, you know, for those who have made, been made in the image of God. So words that hurt people and highlight their faults is not appropriate to be speaking. Somebody said yes, just yes, right? I think it was Socrates, uh, I, I believe, who originally said, uh, before you speak, ask yourself a few questions, just three. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? And if you would just, before you open your mouth, process what you're going to say through those uh, three questions, uh, it's pretty good advice. Paul said it even better, of course, in Ephesians 4, verse 29. He said, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Really, really great. Kingdom people should know the power of their words. We know that there's life and death in the tongue and we've got to commit ourselves to speak truth and we've got to commit ourselves to avoid hurtful talk against others who have been made in the image of God. When we realize we're speaking about somebody that Jesus died for, somebody that Jesus loves deeply, and you feel the right that you can go ahead and speak poorly about them and think that the Lord is okay with that, you're wrong, simply. You're mistaken. He's not. He's not cool with it, and he doesn't like it. And if there's anything that we need to work on in life. It's, it's what comes out of our mouth. Oh my. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Moving on. Who may enter his presence? The next one, he says, those who keep right relationships with others. So verse three, he says, uh, we've got to be people who refuse to hurt our neighbors. And the classic question, of course, is, is uh, well, who is my neighbor? And you know the answer, church people. Anyone, everyone, everyone you meet is your neighbor. Maybe they live across the street from you. Maybe they're the person in front of you at the line in Walmart who's taking way too long to get their stuff out of the cart. Oh, that can be frustrating when you're in a hurry. You have two things, you know, and the, oh, anyway, uh, but maybe it's the server in a restaurant. Maybe it's, it's anyone, you know, like if we're to be salt and light to everyone that we meet, then it's time that we did. Jesus did the ultimate good for us, and he asks us to live the same way towards others. So are we respectful of others that we disagree with? Here's the big one. Even on social media. We are nasty on social media. Have you not noticed? It is brutal with a capital B. God's people. We got to do better. Are we respectful and trying to be living as far as it depends on us to live at peace and in right relationship? It's okay to do it live, but it's, it's quite fine, it seems, to take pot shots at people online, and that's cool. No, it's not cool. Come on. Just say ouch. 
It's deadly quiet in here. Do we feel superior to others? Uh, like who make less money than us or who work in a lower position job than us? Um, do we somehow feel that we're better? Um, how we treat others, it says a lot, a lot about who you are. What's inside will come out. God's people should realize again, we're just sinners saved by grace. We all are standing on level ground before the cross. All of us lost and in need of a savior. See, it's a position of humility. It's a life that's lived in thankfulness. And when, when Jesus saves us and forgives us, it's got to impact how we view others and how we treat others, even on social media. So I'm just going to leave that there, and you can let, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit let that just stew in you. But our right relationships with people is important. So next he says in verse 4, Who may enter your presence? Those who keep their word even when it hurts, he says. So we're to be people who have this unwavering commitment to keep our promises even if it hurts. Uh, David is encouraging us that we're people of our word. Now, we're, just, we're not just people of the word, but we're people of our word, right? If I say something, you should be able to take it to the bank because it's true and I will be there and I will show up. We don't change our actions if it gets inconvenient and then bail, right? We can be counted on to deliver what we said we would, right? This is just honestly good old-fashioned advice, right? It's just good old-fashioned dependability, reliability, somebody that can be counted on, that if you say you're going to be there, then I know you're going to be there. You know the people that say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be there. Well, I might be there. I don't know. I tried to show up. I don't know. You walk away not feeling confident. Are they going to come? Are they going to show up? Are they going to be early? Like, I'm left in a conundrum, right? I can't trust you. There's something, there's something, like, honestly, there's something that speaks to character about this, right? We got to be people who keep our word. And if we don't, what does that say? What is going on on the inside that would cause us to do that? We've got to be better. We've got to grow in this. If I say I'm showing up, I show up. If I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And if I can't, for some unknown reason, then I let you know and I explain why. That there's a trust factor that needs to be in our lives when we're dealing with others. And when we can't be trusted to keep our word, it's not good. And you know it. I want to tell you this quick story. There was a friend of mine, and Dave, if you're watching, or if you ever see this, I'm going to make a confession right now. I have a friend named Dave, and he lives in Newfoundland. And he calls me up one day, and he asked me for a very bizarre thing. He said, I'm making this special thing for my wife. And he said, I know this sounds crazy, he says, but I, I, I need somebody to drive around Toronto and to pick up rocks off the ground in certain locations. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, no, I'm serious. I go, you're calling me to drive around Toronto to pick up rocks. He goes, yeah. That's crazy, man. He goes, let's just do it. What can you do it? Anyway, blah, 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 blah. So I say, fine, okay? I just say, fine, I'll do it. 
I don't know where I'm going. He hasn't sent me the addresses or location. I just say, fine, I'll do it. Helen and I will go on some Saturday afternoon. We'll just get it done. I'm thinking it'll take an hour, right? I pop down somewhere, grab a couple rocks. So the next day, the guy sends me an email with the five or six, was it five or six locations maybe? Okay, so one's right downtown across the street from the Eaton Center. One's out in Mississauga past Queensway Cathedral. Uh, they're all over the GTA. Can I be honest with you right now, Dave, if I'm being transparent, I really, I, re I wanted to bail. I was like, this is unreasonable. I'm a busy person. I can't drive around Toronto picking up rocks. Picking up rocks. Are you serious? But then after I calmed down, I went, you know what? He's my friend, and I told him that I would do it. And that's going to speak to my character if I don't. I said, I'm going to do this. So because my wife is kind and beautiful and patient, she agreed to come with me. And we drove all over Toronto, probably took us, I want to say, three or four hours. And we, uh, so it, it was a comedy show, right? You know, you're down at the Eaton Center trying to park down there to find rocks. Okay, so, so you pull off a side street and you go, okay, I'll, I'll stay in the car, you hop out, see if there's a rock on the side. And then Helen's so fussy, right? I was like, just pick up that rock off the curb. That's not a nice rock. We have to find a nice rock. I go, ah, honey, there's chaos all around us. Just grab a piece of gravel off the street, let's go. No, we gotta find one that has color in it. We gotta find one that has like a, a stripe on it. We gotta find a nice rock, you know? It took hours. Dave, you owe me so big. When I go to Newfoundland, you, man, I want Jig's dinner, I want full tours. I, I mean, I gotta, you gotta, you're getting that, you're getting that back. But anyway, so we go around, we pick up rocks. I send the rocks to Dave, you know, special delivery. And uh, he's thrilled, and, um, and then he, he asks me back, and he, he says, you know, there might be another time when I might want you to do this for me again. <laughs> and I said, Dave, let's just, let's just stick with one for now. <laughs> but anyway, it just hit me, you know, I, uh, it's just a silly story, but the fact is, is I didn't want to do it, but I gave him my word. And it seemed a bit ridiculous to me, but it was important for him. And so I did what I needed to do. We need to be people of our word, even when it hurts, even when it's inconvenient. We can't just make an excuse and fluff it off. It's just not who we are. People who enter into the presence of the Lord are people who can be trusted to keep their word. Last, he says, who can enter into your presence those who are honorable with their money. Look at verse five, put it up for me and we'll just wrap up here. He says, those who lend money without charging interest and who can't be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people, this is the, the end of the four, the four verses that he answers the question. He says, people that live like this, they will stand firm forever. So this thing about the money, this is speaking about people who live generously and, who, and people who use their money to do good and to bless others with what we have. We don't have thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes, but sometimes a $20 bill 
really matters. Sometimes a couple of bags of groceries, it can really matter. It speaks to living generously. It speaks to using our money honorably and to do uh, you know, good with what the Lord has blessed us with. It also actually points to greed, right? And he's saying, listen, you can't let the love of money lead you to make bad moral decisions. And the love of money, if you hadn't noticed, right? <laughs> it, it can cause people to make a lot of bad decisions. People will throw their integrity away because they, they, they can make money. And so the love of money becomes more important than 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 just holding true to who you want to be on the inside. Money is powerful. It's a powerful force in our lives. And we're kidding ourselves if we don't think it is. We are very motivated to make it, to keep it, to hoard it, and to spend it on ourselves. We are, all of us are, me included. But there's something about the people of God that we are changed even when it comes to our money. Somebody said amen. Come on. We are honorable with how we use our money. We support the kingdom of God. We, we are generous to people in need. We live with an open hand and not a closed fist. We, we, we don't charge ridiculous rates of interest. We're not, you're not using other people to make us money in, in sort of immoral, ungodly ways. This is, this is pointing to greed and not letting the love of money lead us into bad moral decisions. Look at um, Leviticus chapter 25. Bet you don't read Leviticus too often. But here's one. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on the food that you sell him. So listen, it's not like you can't do normal business. He said normal business is fine, you know? You, you, you're selling food to him, just don't make a profit. You know, he's in, he's in need. Bring him into your house. Don't charge him interest. Just help him, love him. Help the person get over the hump and move on. There's, there's, a, there's a balance here, right? Uh, Paul said this in 1 Timothy Chapter 6, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, come on, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Though you, you've seen the shows, you know, Secret Millionaire and, you know, the, the, the uh, Undercover Boss and shows like that. And, and, a, and a boss puts on a wig and puts on a face, you know, fake mustache or something. They go and he finds some girl that's working behind the counter, but she's incredible and she's, you know, full of life and potential and she's a hard worker and she's honest and she's good, but she's struggling at home and she's needy. And then the boss, you know, reveals, hey, I'm actually the owner of McDonald's. Come into my office. Here's $10,000, you know, for you to go buy a car. Here's $50,000 for you to go do what you need to do. And, and then they sit there. You, have you ever seen any of these shows? They both weep. Have you, you seen these shows? 
The person receiving the money weeps because they're incredibly blessed. The person that's giving the money is so blessed that they weep. There's something that connects deep inside, even if we're not followers of God. It's like the, the generosity of God is still in us. Yes, the image of God is, is tainted by sin, but there's something about being generous that connects deep into our soul. And when we do it, when we see it, when we experience it, it, it's powerful. The people that are giving the money walk away saying, I, I just gave 50 grand and I've, that's the best thing I've ever done in my life. They wouldn't take it back for a second. There's something that connects deep to the heart of God when we live with an open hand and with generosity. A life of integrity compels us to be honorable in our business. It compels us to be honorable in our dealings with others, generous to the kingdom, generous to those in need. Someone said that you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And it's really, really true. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Why? Because giving just flows out of a heart of love. Parents, children, when they're born, practically, they're a drain on your finances. Uh-huh. Incredibly so. They're not technically giving anything back, right? In fact, they keep you from sleeping, etc., etc. right? But why do we pour out our very lives for them? Because... We love them like we've never loved anything else. There's something about love that compels us to give. So he's saying, listen, who can enter into my presence? Who can climb my holy hill? It's people who love. People who are generous. People who are honorable with their money. People who, who just naturally flow with this this generous heart and this generous life. When was the last time, honestly, you helped somebody out financially? Maybe it's time we all did. David closes the psalm by saying, people who live like this will stand firm for, uh, forever. And like I said, the NIV and other translations will say, those people who live like this will never be shaken. Look at 1 John 2, 17. And, and in this world, uh, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with this story. Put it up for me. Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like the person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. David says, how then should we live? He lays it out pretty well in Psalm chapter 15. Those who want to stand and see God's face, those who want to enjoy his presence and his favor, will be growing in these qualities with the help of the Holy Spirit to live a blameless life and to do what's right, 
to speak truth and refuse to gossip, to, to keep right relationships and be kind to our neighbors and those we encounter. We are people who keep our word even when it hurts and when it's inconvenient. And we are people who are honorable with our money and live a life of generosity. This is what he says. These are the kind of people who will enter into his presence and enjoy his favor and his blessing. And so we have got to grow into these qualities with the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's not a sinless life. He knows we're going to make mistakes. But he calls us to a life of integrity and character and commitment and faithfulness that we are children of God and we are called to follow him and to serve him and to give him all that we've got. Somebody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand together as we close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Psalm 15. It's a really great psalm. Such a practical word for our lives. Thank you. Lord, we know King David wasn't sinless. We know Job and Abram and Noah, they weren't sinless. But you called them to be blameless. Help us to be men and women who are blameless to be growing into the righteousness of God. That when we look at our integrity, our character, our faithfulness, our, our devotion to the Lord, that you truly are the king that sits on the throne in our lives. That we don't let money control us. We are people who speak the truth in love. We are people who keep our word even when it's difficult. We are people who treat others properly with respect and with honor even when they don't treat us that way. We are called to live, Lord, on this higher plane. And thank you, Lord, because we can do it. It is possible because you've left the Holy Spirit here to make it possible. So rid, our, rid us all, Lord, of the excuses that we make and encourage us. Lord, kick us in the pants if you need to, but we've got to move on from some of these things. We've got to get better and just grow in some of this. And some things, Lord, we're good at. Some things we struggle at. We seem to spin our wheels in, uh, in one area of our life. But Lord, whatever, whatever it is that needs the touch of the Lord today in our lives, whatever needs to be strengthened, whatever, Lord, we're struggling with, what's not, what, what's not right in us? Lord, we just ask you humbly and honestly, please, Lord, grow this in us. Please help us. Thank you, Father, today. Just as a sign of commitment for those of you that are here, if there's an area in your life, just I'm not going to embarrass anybody or point anybody out, but if, as I've been talking, you've been thinking, yeah, I've got I've to fix that. I've got to grow in that. Would you just be honest and just for a moment and just raise your hand? I just want to, uh, we just want to commit it to the Lord. Whatever it is, big or small, ugly or not ugly, but something has triggered in your brain and says, I gotta, I gotta fix this. I gotta, I gotta move beyond this. Thank you. Just, let's just be honest before the Lord. How, how can we move forward if we're not honest? So Lord, you see our hands and you see the issues that have held us back. 
areas of weakness that we just haven't seemed to be able to overcome. So today, I thank you, Lord, for the courage of those who have raised their hands and for the honesty. And that is a beautiful first step to welcoming in the presence of the Lord. So I pray, Lord, today for every hand that's raised that you would pour out, Lord, what they need to overcome. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would give them strength. I pray, Lord, that they would be given a way out so that they would win over temptation and that temptation would not win over them. I pray that you would work, Lord, your character into us, your fruits of the Spirit, Lord, your, your qualities of, of what you want to see in us. We want to be people who live in your presence and who climb your holy hill. And so help us, Lord, to be those kind of people who are working on our faults, growing closer and stronger, growing deeper in our commitment and faithfulness to you, not people who make excuses and point our fingers at others, but who, Lord, really have a hunger and a desire for righteousness, really have a hunger and a desire to be the man or the woman that you want us to be. Our potential is great. Our potential is great. And I would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would remind us all that we are still here, we are still breathing, we are still alive. And there is still untapped potential, untapped ministry opportunities for each of us if we would live closely and walk closely with the Holy Spirit. So help us to do that, Lord. Challenge us, convict us, encourage us. Do whatever needs to be done to help us move forward. Thank you, Father, today. We bless you and we love you. And we, Lord, are really, really, really committed to serve you and to be fully devoted to you. You are the King and the Lord of our lives, and we want it to stay that way. And so we thank you today in Jesus' name. God's people said amen. 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 Thank you, everybody. We'll be back next week. If you're online and you don't know Jesus, reach out to us. We would love to introduce him to you. He is a beautiful, beautiful Savior who can change your life. God bless you all. We'll see you next Sunday.